when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome to my turn. This time, it's my turn. The podcast where we talk about a different movie that some of us find tangential, quote, whatever reason we want to go from one movie to the next. We somehow are going from uh, Tarkovsky's, uh, Tarkovsky to David Lowry, uh, you know, a filmmaker <laughs> responsible for a remake of Pete's Dragon from a number of years ago. I am here to introduce you to The Green Knight, a movie about fucking around and finding out. A movie about a colossal dumbass. A movie where no one knows how to pronounce the main character's name. A movie I liked very much when it came out, and I like it even more now. To discuss this, I am joined by the usual crew, Mr. Rob Zachney. You know, I think it actually flows quite naturally from nostalgia, honestly. Like, there was a, yeah, I had yeah. forgotten what the conceit of the show was, and there was a moment I was watching it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of like uh, Tarkovsky. I mean, that's how we got here. Was, yeah. No, I know. I know. Specifically but I completely cited, forgot. And I was yes, like, mm, getting Tarkovsky vibes from some of this. Watch, mm, a camera lingers for 15 seconds. Getting Tarkovsky vibes from this film. Listen, uh, our show is effectively just a, sequ- a sequence of tangentially related scenes in podcast mm-hmm. form. We've made a podcast dream sequence. Welcome, welcome everybody. That's true, and also welcome to Renata Price and Ricardo Contreras. Hello, thank Hello. you. Welcome to my mind palace. Uh, <laughs> yes, Please don't pick well, up that vase. Hmm. Uh, so yes, The Green Knight uh, is a movie that uh, that I picked for us to watch next to set it up a little bit. Uh, the Green Knight is a 2021 film uh, from writer director David Lowry, filmmaker behind movies like A Ghost Story. These, as I mentioned, the surprisingly decent Pete's Dragon <laughs> remake. The next movie they're doing, the movie they're doing after this mm. is a Peter Pan film. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, well, live based on the 14. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what? Just uh, 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 The Green Knight's uh, uh, kind of loosely based on the 14th century poem, uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Sars Dev Patel as Sir Gawain uh, and a host of other incredible actors playing just a bunch of weirdos. You know, we got Joel Edgerton, Sean Harris, uh, Alicia Vikander. Uh, in the Green Knight, you know, Patel's character is a sort of aimless sort. He's an individual born into a family of legends. He's insinuated to be the son of Morgan Le Fay. It is very clearly inspired by King Arthur, the Round Table, though none of those names are actually ever said in uh, the story. Uh, Gawain is not brave. He has accomplished no feats. Uh, and his mother has decided to cast a spell to essentially provide a reason for their son to kind of sit at this place, find some sort of uh, 
inspiration journey to kind of like join these sort of like kind of like legendary fable-esque characters that that surround the uh him uh and the family that he's in so one evening after being able to recount a story uh about his tales having none none, none to share uh in the midst of a christmas celebration uh sort of a, a creature appears uh down a long hallway the the green knight the sort of horrifyingly beautiful looking creature that is kind of a, a mashup of the earth and a human it is a really striking uh design and this green knight with just the most exquisite voice possible uh declares that they would like to propose a a, uh, a christmas game uh in which a a someone should step forward uh raise their sword raise a weapon however you attack the knight that attack will be uh, uh, given in turn a year later. You have to seek the, Hold on. the, the you can't knight just say out. A year later, you got to say one year hence. One year, one year hence. Year Apologies. Hence. Thank you, Kato. <laughs> um, I did assign you that before we started this podcast. Was uh, <laughs> by the way, you need to remind me um, to to use the <laughs> one, proper vernacular. One year hence. Uh, I think it's a year and a day, right? Or is it actually a year? Um, one year hence. The, one year one hence. hence. Yes. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> but you know. Our big old main character dumbass is like, all right, I'm going to get up here. I'm going to borrow a sword. The Green Knight uh, kneels, uh, puts their head forth. Uh, it offers no sort of attack. And uh, Gawain decides to take this as an opportunity to slice the Green Knight's head off. Uh, the Green Knight picks up its head. It goes back on its horse, says, I'll see you in a year. And everyone breathes a big sigh of relief because finally... Our main character has a tale to to tell, and we'll just worry about the consequences of these actions a year from now. Um, and that sort of sets up uh, our our story. Uh, this is a movie that uh, I picked because I found it so striking at the time. Uh, it is very slow and methodical, but I think gorgeous and interesting. And the way it plays with reality and perception, uh, I found to be very memorable and was one that I found to be even more memorable uh, upon revisiting. Uh, and by revisiting, I meant paying $15 to outright purchase it from iTunes <laughs> because it was the only way to watch it in 4K. There was nowhere to rent it. Vice, I tried. I did my best to find a cheaper way to watch this the night before, and it turns out it was just paying $15 for the right to do so. But uh, I am curious for Ren and Rob, you're the two that had not seen uh, this film ahead of us watching it for uh, my turn. Ren, what did you make of The Green Knight? I love that you can put any number of images in sequence and call that shit a movie. I fucking loved that. I loved I loved this movie so much. It was an absolute joy. Uh, I am going to rewatch it frequently. It, it just I, I could not have asked for more. Could not could not have asked for more from this movie. Rob. It's a new Christmas classic for one. Uh, <laughs> like I was like, oh, finally another good movie for the Christmas rotation. Yeah. Hey, the way uh, the way you get the little jingle bells at the very oh end of the film, <laughs> so which felt really deliberate. Like I, I and I will as an aside, the reason it feels deliberate is because David Lowry, the director, told the actor that was playing the Green Knight to pretend you're santa claus at this point and so there's like a lot going on in that final sequence but sorry rob i was i was stepping on uh you you continuing no it's um aside from that i i'm 
it did cast a complete spell over me. And I think one of the things that kept occurring to me as I watched it, it is that it is one of the few films I've, I can name that really and truly feels like it is set in a world where magic is real, that there isn't, there is an essence of the film that is magical. Uh, like things that went through my head as I watched it were um, when Alfonso Cuaron took the helm of the Potter films and made mm-hmm. prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, it reminded me a bit of, and I guess sort of a Cuaron disciple in some ways, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, where, but, you know, there the trick is, of course, that it's, you know, again, it's kind of a dreamlike idol, what's real, what's fantasy, but it feels fantastical. There are very few films, there's a lot of films that have magic, but like the magic exists as like, it's visual effects or something, or the magic is too instrumental, it makes too much sense, it follows a, a neat logic. This film almost from the first feels like there is magic in this world and I don't know, don't understand it and I don't know what it is doing or to what end. And because of that, the entire film has this air of uh, real alien menace, but also like beauty uh, that that's so that so few films uh, sort of sort of can evoke in terms of visuals. I also thought found myself thinking a lot about, uh, for instance, the the Lord of the Rings series. But even there, like that is an adaptation of a story that follows much much cleaner logic. Oh, I know where I was going with this. A character that Jackson cut out was uh, Tom Bombadil, and this has mm. become a meme, right? Bring back Tom Bombadil. <laughs> yeah, it's like Tom Bombadil absolutely. doesn't make sense in, uh, you know, in, he barely makes sense in the Lord of the Rings trilogy on the page. How could he possibly make sense in, uh, you know, in the film? And it's true, like there's an air of like weirdness around that character and that aside that it's like how do you how do you weave that in how do you even make it good and not shitty because he's going to do a little weird little rhyme and it's not going to make any sense what he's doing here and this film kind of in some ways felt like we get our tom bombadil sequence and it turns out like if you like you create a character that is so clearly like in the world but not of the world Mm -hmm. that like the mundane becomes utterly riveting and hypnotic because you have like you have no idea what the hell is happening or what the intent is uh, that this character is like bringing into this relationship in the film. Kato, I know that you had watched yeah. this film before. We're yes. excited when I chose it. Um, I think you and I were, I did not participate in the a 24 special screening so that you could watch it a the week night. before you could pay it. <laughs> right, yeah, the, yeah. The more expensive rental service <laughs> is what you, you paid to, to watch this movie a week before even a week he later, I paid streaming. streaming yeah, <laughs> yes, the first time. Less. Well, here's the fucked uh, up part that I didn't mention either: is that I had already seen it in theaters, which is okay. why I was like, I need to pay this money and watch it again with a couple of the people that were already like coming over. I, I wish like, I had seen Ugh. this in theaters. There, there are movies. You know, we talked about it's, this it's, in nostalgia. Was, which oh there are movies God. that I think are made force like what cinema like a big screen and this movie looks beautiful on my beautiful screens but god there are just some images that i never saw this movie on the big screen and so i'm tremendously jealous that that got if it ever if it's ever like within like i don't know you could probably drive i would drive like two hours to see this if it had to take that long i don't need another pandemic 
But remember when you could rent theaters for like a hundred bucks yeah. and they just sort of show whatever you wanted? I, like, how do we have an on-demand theater service so just Kato and Patrick can watch? And honestly, it, it made me kind of sad watching it this time because my TV is like okay until you try to do anything HDR and then it kind of looks not great, even though it's supposed to look better with HDR. And I was like, oh, I, I because rem- I remember so vividly how kind of stunning the image was when I watched it in the theater. But anyways, um. I was yeah I, I I really enjoyed this movie and like a thing that I was gonna bring up that Rob kind of uh, started with was actually a comparison to um, Pan's Labyrinth, which I think this even goes a step beyond that uh, level of making the like magical and uh, mundane kind of interwoven where. You know, in Pan's Labyrinth, there's still this sort of separation. There's a threshold that is being crossed by the main character in that movie to like enter the the kind of world of fairy tales, and the interweaving there is a little more. There's like a there's space between those two worlds in Pan's Labyrinth. In this, it is all the same. It is all on this level of like the second you leave um, any sort of civilization, the world is wild and magical. Right, the entirety of the world is wild and magical, and the threshold exists only barely within the the the, the threshold of like the castle or of Camelot, whatever the the whatever uh, buildings exist. You know, um, yeah, I really really enjoyed this movie, and uh, it super. I've watched it like four times now. Uh, I didn't even make it all the way through this time because I was like, it's fine. I've seen it already <laughs> like a ton of times. <laughs> like, so, so I'll be good. I got halfway through and then I was like, oh shit, it's four. Uh, <laughs> Did you, does that mean you at least made it to the Giants? Yeah, I, the, I, I just got to Fucking the. Um, you can't watch this movie without seeing the Giants. You got to see the Giants. Yeah. Uh, I made it to the the yeah the last the scene with the the Lord at the end right like which also very gotcha. memorable so yes. yes. Uh, the one thing I'll say is that like Kata, you suggest that like out inside the castle walls there is there is an actual boundary line. Uh, <laughs> Mark, I don't think the that's. I don't think it's super the green hard. Been I think it's it's the only <laughs> threshold that even exists. Right? Yeah. There's a small Fair. bit of like separation where the walls seem to hold out most of the magic and then I like the, obviously the green knight at the beginning breaks that come almost immediately right by coming in yeah it's just i the movie's really giving there is no inside there is no outside like there are <laughs> there are shots in this movie that are so deeply like the, the these delineations make no sense right this is like one of the things that i was thinking about is that at the, at the end of the movie when we actually get to the green chapel the green chapel is just like 100 percent reflect like a indirect conversation with the end of nostalgia where the camera pans back to reveal that you know this uh like little bit of russian um countryside is actually within this impossibly large um decaying chapel right and is like the none of these delineations actually work um i think this ugh, is so good it's it's interesting rather that you brought up the comparison to lord of the rings because one of my favorite shots of the movie is once where the journey has begun, where he he exits the castle and we get these like this broad, long tracking shot with the castle in the distance. There's the goat. And um, it's in so many other films when a character is going on the hero's journey, going on the quest, 
I can imagine that scene with like a larger overhead tracking shot and the Howard Shore. And he's like, dun, 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 dun. And it's like, here he goes. And here, it's the saddest shit imaginable. It's like, you have this more like, sure, they're sort of, you know, if you want to be really empathetic with their situation, like a person lost, like thrust into a world of legends and they don't know how to find themselves. Also, they're just like a sad sack of shit. He's yeah. like, I don't know. I guess I'm out to go figure it out. And it's just sort of a sad beginning to this journey. And the camera lingers for so long in a way that as you see that castle and in what, yes, uh, as Ren has pointed out, there really is no barrier between. The, the, the magical realm, like, the the world is the world. But there is something about him going off on this journey to this place is not an inspiring or exciting journey. What he is leaving is the only solace there is from the true weirdness that is beyond these walls. And he begins experiencing that almost immediately. And it's not in a celebratory fashion. It is in a very kind of mundane, like, there's no parade and and flags for him. I mean, the camera's going, so it's, it's, it's really just like, watch this motherfucker trundle. Like this, this, this guy's gonna. This guy isn't gonna gallop. He's not gonna trot. This horse is gonna trundle. The horse is at one point doing that thing the horses do, where they walk kind of horizontally, and you're like, "Why is the horse doing that?" And the horse is doing that because he's this man doesn't know how to ride a horse. What do we do? Also, the horses were apparently a nightmare on the shoot of this as well. Just not, just not vibing with the filmmaker. Oh, no. I think it ends up working for. Yeah. The film and the and the character specifically, um, but apparently, like that was a, 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 like a constant source of of an issue on set was just these horses did not want to just go well, in a line. It's one of those things that like you don't think about like uh, when it comes to filmmaking, but it is working with animals like that is a expertise that both comes with like people on the shoot knowing what they're doing and also like it helps if you have actors who've like done that. But the days when everyone's going to do their rotation through two or three B Westerns. Uh, mm-hmm. Those days are, are long gone. So I can imagine that, you know, now it's like a little bit more, you're taking your film in your hands when you're like, how much of this are we put on horseback? Uh, I want to talk about like the opening a little bit. Cause we're talking about boundaries. Uh, I think what is so interesting here is that Camelot already feels more like a limbo than a paradise, right? <laughs> this is like, not a cool place. That round table is well, depressing. King Arthur, or the equivalent, you know, the stand-in is di- is clearly he's dying. haunting his. Own, he's he's a ghost at his yes. own feast. Yes. Yeah. And when <sighs> when uh, I need to commit to how I'm going to pronounce that. Like Arthur says, Garwin. Garwin. Uh, so, Garwin. so here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. <laughs> so Gawain is like when I was looking up the pronunciation. That is sort of the accepted pronunciation. They were asked. This was a point of contention when this film came out, which is why does King Arthur keep saying Garwin? And David Lowry, the director, basically said, I don't know. I just kind of let him say that. It was like <laughs> he, he he was like, I like Sean Harris can pronounce that name however he likes. And he said he said in a more serious answer, some of it's regional accents, some of it is like, but it seemed like it was very much leaning into Go read David at Lowry and he's like, he's a super funny dude. Like, but it does seem like it was kind of, you can interpret it as leaning into the, what is reality of this entire story. Mm-hmm. I think practically speaking, it's Gawain and Garwin is just, is just it is well, uh, it, the, the mental faculties of King Arthur. You know, he made it uh, sound super Joel, Joel Edgerton <laughs> pronounces it Gowan. 
Mm. Like, like it is all. There are like the, four or five pronunciations throughout the, the which the, is the like if like g- given that you have like three different language groups uh, also in in the aisles, I can see where yes. it can get a little crossed up. But uh, when when uh, when Gawain is heading up into the castle, right? He, we get that shot of him running uphill into the castle, and it's all like wreathed in these like stark white gray clouds. Like everything is there's no view, right? It's commanding height. You have a feeling of heights and and power, but like it's just this this fog that they 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 live in. Uh, and then of course, yeah, you do have like this Arthur as a man who has already sort of receded from. Uh, the present, right? He doesn't sit with the knights anymore. He's the head of the table and the round table is now a space separate from him. There's also the fact that like one of the other things I like about the, the, the castle is that like, you know, to borrow something from that happens later in the film, the green's already in there. There is already like little bits of moss and ivy covering the cobblestones of the interior of the castle, which is again, like gesturing at, um, you know, one of the, one of the film's primary themes. The other thing I, I want to return to the name for a second the cool thing about the name to me and the fact that there's like three distinct pronunciations is also that like after that, after that, in, that, that, um, you know, engagement with the, with the Green Knight at the beginning of the film, people see Gawain in like three, like wildly different ways. There's Gawain, the actual dude. There's uh, Gawain for the people who were in the room and watched him actually do the thing. There's Gawain, the story. Uh, and then like, there is Gawain, like the prophecy that his mother is trying to build for him. And so like, it feels like people are talking to different versions of this character, or at the very least, they are talking to who they imagine him to be. And so the fact that there's like these slight differences in pronunciations of his name really lands for me, um, especially when like the king is trying to make him into someone. Right. It's like, yeah, there's so much myth making that is happening here. Like even again, like the, the fact that this is not necessarily naming Arthur, it's like, well, hey, man, when you see that sword, like. Come on, we know what the sword is, and like yeah. there's, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, and that's you know, obviously you know, even gets even more prominence in, towards the end of the film, um, but uh, during that certain sequence, but uh, there, it, all this myth making is in, in some ways, if I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much of the movie is 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 kind of luxuriating in this point, but it's sort of like the, what are the point of these myths, like that these characters have told about themselves, and, and how pathetic these people may or may not actually be as a result of this myth-making that has put so much pressure on our main character to come up with a defining feature of why they're legendary. Well, one of the things that... So I think that is one of the tensions that emerges really quickly is that, um, like, Gawain certainly thinks that he needs to do something, that he needs to... Like, he needs some sort of quest or story. Like, there's a great scene... Uh, like Sean Harris, like owns the start of this film. Yeah. And first he has that quiet scene with uh, Gawain as he, you know, in so many words. And I love how he speaks. He speaks like he is uh, an epic poem. Uh, yes. he's, he's using thee and thy in a way that a lot of other characters do not. Uh, he speaks as a man who is already like got one one foot both in the grave and in myth. But he is trying to get at this. It, it's very pointed familial speech of I do not know you very well and I realize I have breached family obligations not knowing you very well and so I ask you ask you like tell me a story of yourself self uh, so that I may know thee and Gawain interprets that as I have no stories about myself he looks around he's looking at the round table he's a man without without stories and deeds to his name but that's not what Arthur is asking 
he is asking to know the man. And this is ultimately like the quest he is going to be on. Uh, is that like, who are you? Who is Gawain is a, is the question that he needs to answer. But the thing he thinks he needs to do is create a story. And so, you know, we, we get that, we get that exchange where he feels he has failed to, he's failed to give Arthur a satisfactory answer. And he has, but it is in part because he doesn't think there is a him. He doesn't think he is a complete person without this uh, sort of defining deed to his name and does not understand that like Gawain, the person can have value to people in this room as well. Yeah. I also think that this, this is echoed with the conversation with Essel right before he leaves where uh, Essel is, is uh, the person that Gawain is like sleeping with um, is the arguably a love interest in the film. Right. And one of the things that she just says that she says the thesis of the film out, like she just like says the film's central question just out loud, which is, why do you need greatness? Is goodness not enough? And Gawain just doesn't have an answer for that. For for why he needs it, for why he is doing any of this. He does not have a real answer yet. Uh, and I think that, like, the rest of the film is then him asking this question of himself over and over and over and over again uh, until eventually he stops and in stopping asking actually finds something. And I'm not sure I'm not sure he has goodness either. You know, the thing is, mm-hmm. in part, he has such character waiting for the fulfillment of this destiny, the fulfillment of this destiny, this idea that uh, someday I'm going to be a knight. I'm going to go on my quest that. As you as you say, you hedged like, is she the love interest? I don't know. Like she, he's she's an interest. Right. Yeah. But like it, it is not clear that he actually feels very much or deeply for her. Uh, it is not clear he feels very much or deeply for himself. He is just kind of this character who is hanging around marking time, which what he's going to do with that with that gap year effectively in the qu- in the in the tale. <laughs> but like, you know, that, but Gone actually that, we'll, we'll get to that in a second when he's given when he's given. He thinks he has a year before like facing this this mortal threat. He doesn't really do anything with it. There is no there is no sense of like, here's what I will do with my life. Here's the training the, montage. <laughs> not even that. But it's like. If you were if you were told, like, you know, if you knew that the, the date and time and means of your death, you probably do things to resolve your affairs. Right. You would probably like have conversations. You do things to like fill your life. Gawain is given a gift to know this and he spends it being like Camelot's biggest fuck boy. <laughs> and that is, you know, he as far as we can tell, he spends an entire year screwing and drinking and feeling sad about like what's coming and does very little else. Uh, and absolutely, hope, get up- absolutely hoping it will just disappear. Right. Cause even like, no also pe- <laughs> no, everyone, everyone is sort of not, not treating it as though, Hey buddy, you're going to go out there and get your head sliced off. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, you know, again, the, the, the green knight calls it a game and it, but you can see on Gawain's face. They are, whether they look at this as like a death sentence, they look at it as e- even just having to go on the quest is itself a death sentence because having to achieve a journey, a tale is having to come face to face with the thing they've been running away from, even though they think it defines them and what they should be, what they should become. Yeah. I also, yeah, I love that. The, the, like, like Rob was saying before about the way that um he kind of doesn't answer King Arthur's question correctly and that almost like beautifully dovetails into him misreading King Arthur also telling him, remember, it's a game, right? 
Like mm-hmm. he takes that shit way too seriously. And this is why he like, like he fails twice in that same yeah. exact scene. Right. Once in, in the bet in, in, in not understanding what the question was and not understanding what the actual, like what he, he assumes courage means a certain thing, right? He assumes courage means not being afraid to enact violence in the, in when, when asked. And it really it's like not being like, he's, terrified that entire time right like he didn't show any courage and like him lashing out and like thinking the killing blow is the only way out of this this game is being like afraid of what would happen if well if i sliced his arm off he'll take my arm like that would suck but if i kill him he won't be able to kill me back right the assumption well, and, and, here and they, being, the green knight lays out the parameters of the game like you could just it's just you a know, game you know raise a my nick cheek, on the you know cheek I mean? like like yeah, what the yeah. fuck <laughs> come on yeah but like but, but because he do- assumes that pose and the pressure it's a real it's a real baiting the pressure of just the having been asked for a a, a a tail right the pressure of right. literally like a second before being like so what's up with you <laughs> and then he'd be like uh. <laughs> well, I want to talk about something else that uh, is raising because we're talking about like in like what is inside and outside the the boundaries. I think something that's so interesting is um in Arthur's speech before the Green Knight shows up when he asks uh for some for some merriment, but he gives the speech basically it's a valedictory on the Knights of the Round Table and what they've achieved. He talks about you know uh, they have shaped this land. Uh, that there's the the everything is marked by their hand and their deeds, and of course when we go outside the castle walls, there's very little evidence that they have like <laughs> that they have made the slightest impression on the wildness of this land. That like this is a story they tell themselves uh, within the walls of Camelot that what we have done is of historic import that we have, that we have changed the world. And the second we see like uh Gawain walk, like ride beyond the walls, it feels within like 30 seconds that like the world has not taken note of Arthur or Camelot. The first thing that he comes across, like the first, like of his trials is coming across a battlefield that is exclusively filled with the dead. And when someone is there, he goes, Hey, what happened here? And the guy goes, Oh, everybody. <laughs> Who's going to bury these motherfuckers? Everyone died. And then suddenly it's this like moment where this battle is completely devoid of context. There is not a war that has been suggested. There is no insinuation that there was a reason for any of this. This is just like... Did lines move? Did, did something on a map change because of this battle? Probably not, because everyone in the battle died on yeah, both like, sides, right? Like <laughs> Everyone died on both sides, and no character has made it any reference to this so like this is the thing about like yes you're right rob the speech rings wholly false because the first thing we see is a battle that no one walks away from and that fucking rules well and so uh, like i couldn't later in the film i couldn't get on my head because like time does not seem linear in this world like what's happening in time there's a little part of me it was like is this his battle like later like when when he when he foresees like what his what his time as king might bring mm-hmm. uh, is is this the fight? And he he rides through the aftermath, uh, sort of because later in the film we see this scene sort of resets. Uh, that you know it's not even necessarily that a battle was fought here. It's like he wanders through a place where the idea of a battle where everyone died exists and continues to like reset the scene for people who who mm-hmm. happen upon it um there is a at some day someday i may make us watch this movie um 
there is a World War One movie called Death Watch. Uh, it's a horror film where basically a bunch of soldiers in an attack wander off into a corner of the battlefield that is like haunted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as the film sort of unfolds, like, you know, they have entered sort of a trial for the dead. Right. Uh, but, you know, the 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 thing that emerges is that at the end of that, we see it resetting this idea that uh, it's a form of violence that is so iconic um, and so like rich with meaning that it just keeps sort of recreating this tableau for new people to be drawn into. And I kind of like, you know, we it kind of has that feeling in this film as well. Speaking of horror, one thing I was I was really curious about Patrick is the horror expert on this podcast. Mm. A, a thing that I left this this movie feeling was that like, man, I wish I wish more horror did fantasy because I feel like horror has become so deeply associated with either the historical uh, the contemporary uh, or science fiction, right? Those are the those are the three domains mm-hmm. in which I feel like horror most frequently operates. And I very rarely feel like we see like truly fantasy horror. And after watching The Green Knight, that's the only shit I want to I want to see from now on. Like I is this is this is this an accurate summation that like The Green Knight is a bit of an like a a rarity among horror and like horror adjacent films. Yeah, yeah, I would I would say fantasy and horror not necessarily crossing over uh nearly nearly as much. I think that's you know, largely to do with the fact that so much of horror is trying to ground people in everyday things they can relate to and fantasy is a bit distance from that. I think that, you know, it may be a limited view on 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 how that works, but also as horror as a genre works in extremely limited budgets. Fantasy right. Already, already works runs in the opposite uh, direction of that. Um, that said, like this movie was made, relatively speaking, on the cheap. Like chooses its its shots uh, uh, when it goes to the fantastical, uh, you know, re- really well. Um, and so I, I think there's a, a rich vein to be tapped there. I think broadly speaking, though, <clears throat> it's 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 like runs up against the budgetary mm-hmm. appeal of horror when the how those scripts are approved because then all of a sudden you're building fantastical creatures and visual effects it's it's clear ireland is the special effect in this in this (laughs) film it's one of my favorite special effects in movies is is the irish step like you can do whatever the fuck you want there uh yeah i was reading a a uh a reddit q a with uh david lowry and one of the extremely funny ones was uh this the the user deleted their account so i can't even uh, attribute it but uh they uh, they wrote. Um, I was on your set when you were filming in Ireland. I got kicked out, and David Lowry uh, responded, "Oh no, apologies." And then the user responded again, "That's okay. I didn't know it was a movie set and just kind of wandered in." <laughs> <laughs> which is which is extremely good. You know, one of the things we're like talking about here is all this Arthurian stuff. I have zero sort of connection history. Like the most that I have with. Arthurian Tales is the cartoon show that I showed Rob the intro of, um, I think last year, where the football there's a football team that gets sucked into Art King Arthur times, and then the football players become knights. Um, Rob didn't believe that show existed, and then I showed him the intro, and it was very much exists. And there's a Super Nintendo game that was made based on it. Uh, a, but a whole TV. Yeah, yeah, but with Google licensed it. products, with like a licensed, licensed video a licensed game. Product. Well, that's the, the, the you know that's the nature of 
no one owns the the Arthur IP, so True, you get yeah. some uh, some some different interpretations of like the work. Merlin. <laughs> I mean, Merlin is here, sort of at the end here. Yes, Merlin. He's there uh, at the start. That's true. That's true. Like, he doesn't really get is, called attention to towards the towards the end. There are yeah. little hint like things I love here. One is that because we all know that like the there's a few things that sort of canonically tend to break up the the golden age of Camelot. Right. One mm-hmm. is the revelation of Lancelot and Guinevere's affair, and. Here we get the the illusion to whoever is supposed to be at Arthur's right hand is not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is departed. Uh, and so while he is gone, uh, like like uh, Gawain can can take that seat. And it feels in some ways like some of the signal events of the cycle have already happened. Uh, that that we are sort of sitting in the in the aftermath of that. And then the other thing is that when the Green Knight rides in, and my God, what a what the as that silhouette that doesn't even really fully make sense. Like it's a man on a horse, but like immediately, like what shape is that? As he <laughs> moves forward, and we just get that look from Arthur to Merlin as to like yeah. how should I play this? And Merlin gives that nod, basically like we have to let this play out is the signal. Right? Yeah. Cool. Like, yeah. Don't, don't, yeah. It would be really be, be chill. Cool, be chill. We, we cannot fuck this up, but there is that sense of like, I think frequently the image of Merlin is as sort of the, the, the kindly wizard, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the court wizard and such. Uh, and here we get a vision heavily inspired by like, let us say Rasputin, uh, mm-hmm. for, for instance, like, a. Uh, a, a a true court mystic yeah and, and someone who again profile profoundly does not fit yeah this is merlin the baby purchaser not merlin the wizard <laughs> it, it may just be more a political figure right like uh then like it, it's hard it's hard like d- does merlin is does merlin actually a wizard i mean obviously we have morgan Le Fay who casts a spell that summons the green knight but i think that's also I like the ambiguity here. Merlin demonstrates no magical acumen. Like the, the the two things we get are of Merlin nodding in this scene. And then during the kind of imagined future sequence, he sort of marks, you know, uh, Gawain's, uh, you know, child. I couldn't figure out. Was uh, that a stillbirth? No, I, no. no, that, that, that was the baby that goes on to die in the. Yeah. Imagined yes. War. But yeah. the baby doesn't start crying until Merlin marks it. Like, that is that is the uh, one thing that like sat in that scene is like we were we were shown a difficult birth, uh, or at least what seems to be a, a a difficult birth, and then like a baby that's making no sound uh, as a newborn, as I understand, is like not a great sign. A sign? No, it's no, yeah, that yes, that is they, they tell you early on that's what you want to hear them screaming uh, right and, early on. I I still I still took it to be that the the baby grew up and then he had a second child no, it, with the arranged marriage. It, the baby did grow up, but I'm saying yeah. like did Merlin do some oh, magic? Oh, oh yes, use some magic. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah cuz yeah. that's yeah. that's the part of that scene that like it almost there seems like There was a like lot of blood in struck. that scene, yeah. right? You know, like you know the, the, there's the shot where Gawain leaves, you know, a pittance mm-hmm. of <laughs> of coins uh Jesus. for, for so oh, just bad. it's so bad. <laughs> um I never really thought, I n- I had not considered that scene that way, but the amount of blood. Now, granted, there can be a lot of blood in a labor, even one that is going according to plan. But that's an interesting reading on it that I hadn't considered and could fully buy if was told it was true. It, it also like is is leaning into the like the visual language of magic, which this film has established. 
right? The visual language of magic that like works in, in the green Knight is that cause and effect are pretty clearly separated from one another in a way like th- people do things and then a little bit later something else happens and you kind of are supposed they are to kind proximate of, but not direct right. yeah exactly yeah. exactly exactly uh, right. someone and will do something and it's just like why the fuck did that guy do that and like 30 seconds later it'll be like is that, is that egg sprouting <laughs> what? i wonder so the other vision of magic we're shown here is that yeah morgan lefay has her chanting circle going and i think it was so fascinating that they appear to be instantiating the legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight into the world that what she writes out and burns uh, as an offering to get to, to fire the spell is like a rendering of the opening of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And there's that kind of put me in question. Uh, and I'm curious what y'all make of it. What does Gawain's mother intend for him? She creates, she creates the story. Like, does he keep failing and the story reaches a resolution? Uh, Like what, what does she want by bringing this character and the story into the world? I presumed it was opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know that she, the conclusion was written, but he was incapable of presenting, like seizing an opportunity to, resolve this part of himself and it was never going to happen without a kick in the ass. Um, and I, I, I took this moment to be her invoking an opportunity for her son to, to do something and to define themselves one way or the other, whether through success or failure. I, I yeah, I, I think it, I think it felt to me a little bit like she was, she's kind of bought in on the whole, like, you know, you gotta be, you got to strive for greatness to like make it in the court, right? Like you, you're trying to like stand out in some way. You want to be king? Yeah, you want to be gotta, king. You got to fucking do something. You got to move. <laughs> um, here, go ahead. Oh, I was say, my, my, only, my only thought here is that like she, she Rob's right. She instantiates this whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. She, she speaks into, into, into the world this legend, right? And I think part of that is she knows from minute one what the function of the belt is. And so she has an outcome in mind, right? Like if, if all of these rules are the, are the rules that they are, yeah. Then she has the outcome in mind is that he takes off the belt. That is, that is her end goal. I don't think is for him to, I don't think that is. Because to me, to me, she makes she makes the sash doesn't get made until later, doesn't it? Or am I mis- no. misremembering when it gets no, made? So he, no, that's he at the loses start. and gets it back under different circumstances. Yeah. Oh yeah, he gets. Oh, he, he sure gets, gets everything back. I know, but okay, yeah. like she. When does she make the sash? Is it after the the Before game he happens? Leaves. Yeah. Before he leaves. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. The game was like an opportunity. He took it too far. She's like, oh, fuck, I got to cover for his mistake, and therefore makes the sash. That's how I read it. Was her being like, well. You weren't supposed to go that far, but this sash will get you through it. <laughs> like you'll yeah, be able to survive I, I, I with the sash, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it's not like the sash is made as part of bringing the Green Knight around. It's made after the fact. Be, in that year, she makes it at some point. But she knows it's a game. Like that's my only qualm is that like she knows that it is a game at its core. Because Does she, well, oh, but then I, that that like I think forces us to just. Like to frame this entire conversation around what we think happens at the end of the film. Well, fair. 
I think, see, this is like, I actually like both readings. I think this is one of the delightful ambiguities of the film. Yes. I actually, I think there is a version of this where I do think she creates the opportunity. She brings the stranger to the door and he mishandles the situation and places himself in mortal jeopardy. And she tries to bail him out of it by giving him a charmed object. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The yeah. other version of it is she foresees all of this and she's she is creating a story in which her son at the start of the film, who knows not who he is or what he wishes to be, finds finds the direction uh, like and meaning that he that he lacks. But you could equally read this as. Gawain is terrified of the implications of what he has done. He's terrified of of his own death. But also he is burdened by the love of a parent who mm-hmm. the worst thing in her world would be something bad happening to him. And he has to cast off the charm that he that, that she has created for him and accept that, like, he will bear consequences mm-hmm. uh, on his own shoulders. Uh, well, let's do that framing about the endings. I think it's going to inform a lot of how we talk about what happens on the journey uh, itself. Uh, so let's take a break. And uh, you won't hear an ad if you sign up at Waypoint Plus uh, at WaypointPlus.com. But uh, everyone else uh, will be back in just a moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back uh, because Ren was alluding to it, and I just feel like it'll unpack a lot of other things that kind of spring out of it. Uh, I almost made this the first question of <laughs> of, of this discussion and, and chose to, to push it a little bit further. But, you know, the, at the end of this film, you know, uh, Gwen, you know, after many trials and tribulations and screw ups, uh, makes their way to the fabled Green Chapel, uh, finds... The Green Knight lays down um, the axe uh, that they have brought with them that was granted to them by the Green Knight and spends what appears to be 24 to 36 hours hoping (laughs) he opens his eyes uh, trying to figure out what he's supposed to do next. Um, I think he gets there a little before Christmas and I think the Green Knight does Mm -hmm. not actually awake until Christmas proper Uh, and... Which the whole notion of Christmas is calling it explicitly Christmas is a whole other part of the mythology and lore in this world that it is just really interesting. But um, eventually the Green Knight opens their eyes, uh, asks, indeed, is it Christmas? Um, and uh, is then uh, essentially says, like, all right, you're here. You did it. We're going to let's do this thing. Um, and multiple times, uh, Gawain uh, flinches, uh, asks for more time. There's an extended vision of the future that we can get into separately. Um, but even just jumping past that, um, eventually Gawain takes, takes off the, the, you know, the sash, the, the, you know, in theory, magical, uh, object that is going to prevent them from being injured. 
uh, the Green Knight uh, kneels down beside them and says, with a very Santa Claus-like chuckle and a smile, well, now, off with your head. And then the game, the movie cuts to uh, a title card um, with some awfully joy, uh, jubilant music uh, to, to go with it. And oh, what a score. What a what a soundtrack. What a score. I listened to it while I was prepping for the, the podcast and, and thinking about the discussion. But uh, go ahead, Ren. I was going to say, A24 loves nothing more than a coral whale. They do. They do. They do. But, it be- you know, it begs the question. The, the ending is open to interpretation. Um the Ren, what what do you think happens at the end of this film? Do you think Gawain is absolved of uh, their journey? Is 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 has this all been truly a game? Well, we left out that post credit sequence. So the post credits does not have narrative implications. I should say. Oh, okay. What? Wait. How, by who? By the director's own? Yes. yes. He said Damn. it was a cute. <laughs> he said it was a cute thing they caught on set, so he put it at the end of the movie. That's very that, funny. That rules. That rules. <laughs> to, 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 to explain, there there is a there is a uh, like as the credits are finishing rolling, essentially like um, I, as the on top of like or behind the credits, there is a scene of the uh, the young actor who plays Gawain's daughter uh, during that extended um, uh, sequence of the kind of a vision into the a potential future timeline. Uh, playing with the crown and putting it on their head, which you very much could take to mean, and people have taken to mean that, oh, Gwen does survive. The, the the Green Knight does not actually lop off their head. But um, David Lowry has has said that, like, you know, people can believe what they want. He's like, it's ambiguous for a reason. But he was like, if you want my honest opinion, that was just, I just thought that was cute. And so I put it at the end of the movie because someone had a camera on while they were doing, so, like, setting up for a different mm-hmm. scene. God, I think I think I am interested in the world where um, Gawain, it's a dream sequence, right? His future is a dream sequence and Gawain mm-hmm. is like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for this. And then the, the Green Knight is like, good job, buddy. You did it because this this leans into the it's his mother's plan. Uh, my, my thought that it is his mother's plan for this to, to play out this way. I, my my reading is motherfucker's head came off like the game the game was afoot the game was completed and the game still involved your head chopping off you can still you know have completed this emotional hero's journey um but i i believe at the end that the head was was severed clean uh and the game was completed well the thing i'll say here is that again like my feeling watching this film is that like the cycle itself, the story itself is like swirling around Gawain on his path. Like there's that entire shot where he like dies tied up in the forest. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his journey his journey ends there. And like we we come back to the tale continues. And so I I in some ways I think like you know, multiple interpretations work here because in some ways mm-hmm. like all of it's happening at once. So the dream sequence that I talked about at the end, or potential dream sequence or future seeing at the end also completes with the camera making a full 360, doing mm-hmm. a panoramic shot of the entire room, uh, during which things do change, which is, again, the fascinating thing is that, like, you know, 
during that process like the the it is not just a panoramic shot is it a panoramic shot during which time is also and and events are occurring that you can't see <laughs> that shot is so fuck there are so many incredible shots during that sequence yeah. too <laughs> um and then also the, the other thing i'm thinking is like the symbolic and the literal are treated as the same thing frequently throughout this movie mm-hmm. which is why i think that there's a chance that the that the green knight is like yeah, saying off with your head is enough is because other people at various points yeah. will substitute the symbolic and the literal and be totally fine with that. Um, that's my only thought, Kato. Yeah, no, I, I'm. I I feel like it's 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 definitely like I don't know. Yeah, it, it's 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 up to it. Like I never I can never really pin down what what I what even I believe happened. Really, because there's so many ways you can read it. And it's like, is him drawing... Because he, he literally draws his finger across his neck, right? Is that, is, is that like Ren saying, that symbolic gesture enough? Is that just him presaging, like, okay, and we're going to do it next. I'm just teasing you at this point. Because you finally fucking took off the magic sash that I knew you, I knew you were wearing. And you're, I'm just taunting you. Is that, like, you know, you can... There's so many different ways to read it that I've always kind of been... Um, I guess more interested in like what it says about what Gawain believes that he's taking off the sash at that point and like whether or not he lives or dies after that kind of, I don't know. It feels like it matters less at that point, but in, I guess if I had to choose one, he, he, he does die because it's kind of feels like the story can he be still read completes the emotional journey. Right. It and can I, be read I about knowing the end is coming and how you deal with that knowledge of your own demise and mortality. Right. Like mm-hmm. my, my only other thought is that the, he says, I will return the blow to you in kind. Right. If I, if you do this, I do this, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. With the knowledge that the with that the green knight himself is immortal. And so it is a, it is a beheading to an immortal. And so to behead an immortal is something fundamentally different. It is a symbolic gesture mm. to, to cut off the head of the green knight at the beginning of the film. And so in making himself mortal at the end, Gawain makes it so that the green knight literally cannot return the blow in kind if he uses the actual ax. And so it then transforms that into a symbolic gesture. Yeah. And so it's, the, it's exchanging the, it's like through the re- removal of immortality, the literal and the um like uh um the word i've been saying for the last like five fucking minutes uh are, are uh, interchanged for one another I symbolic think, i think is what the word is. symbolic yeah. thank you yes so something for me though like his vision or dream to me it feels like a vision of a world where he flees it's kind of like he gets a lot of what he might have dreamed he wanted, but in other ways he never stops running that he is a, that like it is a decision born of selfishness and cowardice and the selfishness and cowardice becomes a thing that keeps like reverberating through his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, you know, we see him ascending to, we, we see him getting a hollow knighthood from, from Arthur, uh, unable to oh. confess that like he didn't do the thing. Uh, we see him ascend the throne and fight wars as a king, but of course his his son uh, that he took from his lover, uh, you know his 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 natural son, uh, you know is killed in the battle in his place, and then ultimately, uh, you know he becomes the ruler of. You know we we see 
somebody like throws I don't know, rotten fruit at him or something, but like, you know, somebody taunts him uh, on his return from this war and he, he can hear his soldiers killing civilians, uh, you know, in the, he's he's holding like the, the, like not the crown, but you know, some sort of piece of, um, you know, headwear that was on his son's head um, as he comes back from that fight. And, and so like for me, when I think about that, that vision in some ways, it is like, there is something there for him to reject, right? It is the the person he becomes if he's the sort of person who who shrinks from this, uh, who who leaves, and at the end of that, he is like sort of conceding that having sort of lived this lifetime in this moment, he deems that ultimately that life wasn't worth preserving, and so he agrees to take the blow. He removes the sash. Uh, he agrees to take the blow, and at that moment is transformed. In that moment, he is given this mercy because now he has completed the quest, which is this quest of like both self knowledge and outgrowing this kind of like selfishness and fear uh, that that has sort of marked him from the start. I, I also think what's oh sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, I was going to say the other thing that, that to Rob's point is that like if this is a movie about legend. Right. Then to me, it accepts that. What we are going to watch is going to instead of following like. uh, Causal logics is instead going to follow like. What is the most. What is the most resonant conclusion to this story? Right. Like it is it is trying to like in, in being a legend and being about myth, it is going to choose the most archetypical and like immediately readable ending possible. Uh, And I think this is like to Rob's point about, you know, he does the thing. This is the moral of the story and legends and myths by their nature have a moral logic to them. Uh, And without this moment, without, if he dies, the moral logic collapses. Part of what I think is really beautiful about that sequence too, is so frequently when we get the equivalent in any sci-fi fantasy, like take your pick on here's, a glimpse into a potential future it is uh given to the individual as opposed Mm -hmm. to believed and thought of by the individual and so if you go through the thought experiment of what Gawain is doing in that moment if you were to sit with yourself and think what are my worst possible qualities that define me how do I extrapolate what that would happen over a lifetime well one that's like really heavy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but two, the fact that, and I think it's what gives the, the moment so much more weight, it is not, hey, and by placing my axe near your head, the magic is going to show you a possible future, like a screw, like a, like, right. like a Scrooge like scenario of like, this, this is one thing that could happen. And instead it's him. It means more when it's your reckoning with what you, your own perceived faults, your own perceptions of how you would corrupt as a result of an extrapolation of where you are currently in your life. And it gives that moment just, I think, a, a lot more meaning regardless of what happens when the axe does or doesn't come down. Well, and it fulfills what Joel Edgerton's Lord is getting at when he sort of is interrogating uh, Gawain at his fireside uh, w- one evening where he he's asking Gawain about his quest and asking really 
probing questions like, what is it you want? And all his questions can be interpreted two ways. And Gawain keeps interpreting them one way and being told, like, I, I meant it the the other way. You're really uh, bad at questions. <laughs> one of the things that, like, the the Lord asks when he, when he sort of hears about, like, how this is going to raise him to knighthood uh, and, like, be this quest, he sort of he asks, like, you know, making a jest of it. So that that's it. Like you, you do this and, and you become, you have honor. You do this one thing. And a moment ago, you, you did not have honor and you were not a knight. <laughs> and then a moment later, you, you have it. And it almost like, does he not get it? No, actually he gets it quite well. The thing is Gawain doesn't get it. Gawain, does, Gawain thinks like honor is this thing that he can go out and, and win that it's like you, you do the thing. Now you're an honorable man. And what the Lord is driving at is that, like the change hat, like the the change comes differently than that. That that honor is a thing that you have or you you don't, but it is not a thing you can just like check a box and 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 possess. And and for me, like the lifetime of decisions he imagines from that point forward. One of the things I really love about the about the future seeing dream sequence uh, or dream sequence, quote unquote, is um, the fact that there's no dialogue for. 10 15 minutes of movie of just showing him in these vignettes doing actions right like he is the only person in those sequences who is acting on the world uh it, it feels like right those are all decisions that he is making and then their immediate outcome no one else speaks no one else does a thing uh he is just like the recipient of the world uh and he is the sole actor uh, and in being the sole actor constructs a world where he makes the wrong decision every fucking time uh and so ends up making the the end of the movie really feel like him making the right decision for the first fucking time in this movie because this this idiot or making a decision right like i don't even know you mm. can i think you could even be like bigger than just a good or a bad decision so much right. of the way he the character is portrayed up until he goes on some of these kind of like you know journeys along the way is just making a decision, like be a bad person. Fine. At least you've made a choice to like be some, to represent something because he's being told he needs to represent, you know, all these, you know, values of a knight. But you can also view Gawain as a, as, a, as an individual that represents nothing at all. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't even represent good or evil or anywhere in between. You're just floating along and things happen to you. Right. It feels. Uh, oh, go ahead, Kata. One of the, one of the 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 readings I had one of the earlier times I watched this movie too was definitely feeling like it. It felt a little bit like, um, you know, obviously these movies are uh, they're the, the these sorts of tales are all about like chivalry and like the code of the knights and what it what like like abiding by that code means uh, that you are like you know worthy of of praise and all that like the the legends um kind of putting um uh pressure on Gawain in the, in the beginning really tinted the whole thing as kind of a uh, a sideways meditation on like uh especially because at the end he like becomes a king a sideways kind of meditation on like just the structures of patriarchy and the pressures mm -hmm. that are put on 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 men be, and that's, I think, why originally I might have read him as dying at the end. It's like, well, 
in order to break the bloodline because of the way society's broken up, you just have to die and not become the next king. Um, as like a more structural sense of like the reason things go bad is just because you know fucking this this the feudal system is not good. Um, but that's like extrapolating to a more like uh, structural level than like a personal level, where like he does do the right thing, but like maybe as a as a symbol for the next generation after Arthur being like maybe we shouldn't keep doing the exact same thing that everyone else was doing before us one of the other oh sorry patrick no no i was gonna say one of the other interesting things like i find about this is that i wonder if one of the things in this movie is that like gawain not only cannot like figure out his own life but cannot understand that myths and legends operate on a moral logic Right, like he cannot read the story of anyone before him as a text. He cannot derive actual meaning from it. Instead, he's just trying to recreate the literal actions of previous people. Right. And this gets to what you were talking about, Rob, with um, the question at the beginning of the movie. Tell me a story from your life. Tell me who you are. And not only can Gawain not like produce a series of actions, he cannot produce like a meaning. Right. It is both it is both things at once. And so the first the moment he goes on a quest, he just tries to reproduce actions um, and without understanding that there is an underlying moral logic, which, you know, leans into this like meditation Kato was talking about, about the like broad archetypes of, of patriarchy and the way that like meaning passes down is, and is constructed in masculinity. Uh, and there's like two things worth sharing. One is uh, so Lowry was asked, you know, when the film came out about like hey, what happened? Do you, like, have any read into it? And so it's worth reading this Vanity Fair piece where Lowry wanted to use that extended sequence to achieve something very specific. He wanted to write an ending where his head gets chopped off, and that's a positive thing. That's a happy ending. He faces his fate bravely, and there's honor and integrity in that. But that doesn't mean he's dead. He's killed. He received the blow that was dealt, and all is set right within the universe of the film. Um, And then he goes on to say, Lowry said he shot a more, quote, explicit and, quote, definitive version of the ending uh, but uh, that it put, quote, too sharp a point on the film. Uh, <laughs> quote, people, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it is quoting from Lowry here, which, again, I should point out, go reading anything with him, he's extremely, uh, extremely funny. Quote, if people were to watch a movie in which Dev Vitale gets beheaded at the end, they probably would uh, like to leave the theater, they probably would like to leave the theater leaving uh, feeling differently than they do with the more ambiguous version. Uh, that ambig- ambiguity may leave the ending open to a rotation, which uh, Lowry is fine with. Quote, even amongst ourselves, Dev, my producers, and I, we all had slightly different ideas about what the ending means. If we cut to black, what happens next? Um, and then related to that, um, uh, Last Galaxian uh, wrote in, uh, this question uh, contains spoilers for Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. So spoiler alert for a 14th century Middle English story, I guess. Anyway, I'm one of those dweebs who read the story back in college, and I think the movie does an interesting thing by leaving the viewer moments before the story's written conclusion. In the end of the tale, the Green Knight does not, in fact, cut off Gawain's head, nearly nicking the back of his neck, and lets him go merrily uh, home to King Arthur's court. Well, that uh, that clearly won't be his path in the film, and then asks us, basically, what do we think happens uh, at the end? But we haven't gotten into the sort of, like, the specifics of what happens differently, but um, I think it's interesting that Lowry is, like, picking elements from the original poem and then choosing to cut them off at cut them off at different points um, to sort of illustrate the specific narrative that he's telling here. Because when I was reading up on the original poem, I mean, 
one, it's much a much more lighthearted affair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, like the journey that Gawain goes on is just implied. Like it's just like a line that's like, and things happened, and then he got to the Green Chapel. Um, <laughs> Question. Does he still get the cum belt in the, in the original film? I So I didn't know how to, I just, I was trying to think of Look. a question. I just want to, I'll just put, you brought it up. And so, Ren, the floor is yours. Uh, cum belt pro, uh, for, against, um, Listen. too much, not oh enough. Did God. the shot linger enough? Did you really need him to squish it? A little bit. <laughs> the squish is the grossest shit I've ever seen in my it's life. Listen, so bad. It would not have been an A24 movie from between the years 2019 and 2021 without some reference to masturbation or coming. You know, <sighs> like like Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson walked so Dev Patel could run with the gun belt. <laughs> Did you know I oh saw um, the original script for The Lighthouse? even after I believe Robert Pattinson had been cast, but before like the funding was taken care of, mm-hmm. was supposed to do a shot that cut to a fully erect penis that was going to be Robert Pattinson's fully yeah. erect penis. That and sounds good. That sounds wow. good. The financer said, look, the movie's already weird enough. Get rid of the, get rid of the, get rid of the boner. And so they didn't let him hang dog. As a culture, we have been robbed. God so, damn it. Because you know he would have done it. Absolutely. <laughs> he is a total weirdo. I love it. It wouldn't even be like a sex thing for him. It'd just be, it'd no. just be like... This you, is art. Robert Pattinson just wants to be a little freak. Yes, yes. Um, but I mean, all of that, I think, does set up something I, I wanted to ask about as we get towards uh, uh, the back half of the discussion uh, on the movie is... We could spend an hour on each of the like sort of like nightly virtues that uh, come to represent the different quests that uh, ha- like kind of mini quests that happen uh, during the, the journey aspect of this film. But I'm just so curious what everyone if everyone has a favorite moment or something they wanted to sort of call out that really spoke to them uh, in in a different way. Kata was there. You've seen this movie the most amount of times Probably. of any of us. I think so. Yeah. What is <laughs> Is there something about that, you know, our chunk of the film that really stood out to you, especially upon rewatch? The, 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 sorry, the, our, the, the, the Lord chunk is what you were saying? No, like the, we've got the giants, we've got, um, uh, you know, this is a thing I realized this time around was that in my mind, every time I finished watching this movie, that the Lord Chunk is like, that's like the last quarter of the film, right? Like it's like, it's the second half of the film. Yeah. <laughs> it is an entire half, even though for me, a lot of the other stuff's like, because it's so like segmented that way into like mm-hmm. these parts, I thought they were all kind of like equal lengths. They feel equally as important, even though the Lord, the like the stay at the at the Lord's Manor is the longest of them. Um, no, I think it's like everything post uh, post going leaving yeah, the yeah. castle. You know, you get you know <laughs> when he gets tricked by Barry Cogan, my favorite man. When this guy shows up <laughs> in a movie, he's gonna be just the weirdest guy. And every time I am going to enjoy it, he plays another. Completely weird guy in the Banshees of Inisherin. I like cannot recommend him in that movie more, more. But like anything from that chunk where there's so much we could talk about, but we won't have time for. 
what what stood out to you um on this I mean uh, uh like one of my favorite for just how like there's something really interesting to me about how this mixes um what we understand as Christian iconography and also like obviously pagan beliefs of magic, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the, and like, obviously Christianity has always had this like weird intermixing because of how it came about, especially in England and all that, like how those things kind of were taken in at the same time. And I really enjoyed the, like the Saint, the Saint Winnevere scene and like, mm. Like that to me is like that's just a fucking witch in the woods, my guy. <laughs> like that is classic, like sorceress, like hanging out in the middle of a fucking cabin, like. But no, wait, she's a Christian saint, so she's good. It's okay. It's it's okay, magic. It's good magic. But um, there's a lot of just very striking, uh, uh, visual visual visuals in that scene. That like the 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 time in the pond, this pond that seems at first like. What it's like five foot pond, mate. You probably stand up in that pond, and then you go. He goes down, and it looks like there's a fucking lake's worth of water in there. The way the color changes, and the like, it's just beautiful and always like one of the most visually striking moments, like along the journey that I really love. And just, and then it's like having all that be associated with a Christian, a Christian saint. Uh, it's just really, I don't know. It, it's it's a wonderful. Uh, moment yeah well and in keeping with like who Gawain is and who he's turning into over the course of this film also he's like oh what do I get if I do this the amazing thing is that this comes right after the scene with the thieves right where like he does he first of all doesn't give enough and then he realizes oh we exchange things out here apparently so I should get something in ex- like he what he learns from the first fucking story is that he should ask <laughs> for 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 something and she's like what the fuck are you asking like what do you, what do you know that's the, you learned the wrong fucking thing my guy <laughs> he can't learn moral logic he yes. can only he can only replicate actions it's yeah. fucking it is incredible it's such also. a good moment of her being like. How dare you? What the fuck? What are you asking me this? Such Um, a good line. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's so good. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Rob, any any moment from this stretch of the film that you found particularly interesting? Fox friend. Fox friend. (laughs) Fox friend. Uh, I love that little little fox. fox. Little like. It's oh, also, so well animated. Uh, the the little like, when does the when little fox throw, when does the little fox appear to you? Uh, so doesn't the fox show up in the woods? Yes. Uh, like near the start it's super when he's fucking early. Yeah, yeah. There was the fox the, is sort of dogging his steps. Yeah, I definitely like did not catch him in the in the cabin scene the first time around, but like he's there too, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, he's been there the whole fucking time. He's just like skilling around it's very um it that, that was one of the things i noticed maybe just because it's a slightly different uh viewing but he like popped out a little bit a few more times than i realized the first times the first time i had watched it um it's just like one it's just cute as a goddamn button yeah. like just the, this little pause so this cute. little hops <laughs> when he throws the rock at it to make it run away and it just circles around to the other entrance <laughs> to the cave Hello. and peeks its head out uh is just like 
murderously cute the way it like finds the hunters i was i was so in suspense over like he's staying in a hunter's house he brought a little fox to a hunter's house oh no little fox friend uh but you know then ultimately the reveal that the fox is a guide on this journey that ultimately the fox is going to pose his penultimate choice uh before he before he goes to the chapel well, there's also about the hunter's house and the fox. There's a painting in the hunter's house showing the hunter following the fox. And then as Gawain is going to leave, Gawain is the person being hunted uh, in that painting. And so, like, the fox starts to mirror Gawain. And the, that's the thing. The last question it asks is, bro, just the last thing it says, is like, just go back, dude. Like, the fox is Gawain at his most. At the most himself version of himself right now. Maybe a little bit clever, I guess, but also kind of just following other people's actions and fundamentally terrified uh, of what could happen if he does anything on his own. Uh, and then that's why the Fox's final message is really like, are you sure you want to do this, buddy? I don't think we need nobody this. has to know. Yeah. Like the, the this idea that like, what is shame if you're the only one who carries it? Like, what is like, what is this? What is the meaning of shame when nobody remembers the 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 thing that you shrank from? Um, and ultimately he pushes he pushes on with it. But uh, yeah, everything with the fox uh, just just ruled. Uh, Ran, how about you? So my favorite part of the movie has to be during Dev Patel's 40 minute horny house when <laughs> um, when the the speech that the uh, woman gives uh yeah. like the the monologue about the green is one of my favorite things i've seen in a minute it's just it's it's an incredibly well written monologue it is tremendously delivered uh and just like cutting back to gawain's <laughs> completely blank utterly just sinking un- <laughs> into the chair he has no idea what the fuck she's saying he has he has no idea he he got like half of that at best and the half he heard he did not like <laughs> and it's 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 just so excellently done and also like man i love it when a movie is just like hey do you want to do you want the key to understanding the visual language of this of this film this character is just going to kind of explain how to read this text visually like real quick and then we can get on with the rest of it <laughs> um and it's it's so good well hey, that she's know, a filmmaker yeah, yeah, she she makes a camera. She made a camera. Yeah, that shit was. He's like, what her. a weird portrait. <laughs> and, and then it's, hang- it's hanging here, right in the like behind him in the um in the imagined sequence mm-hmm. when he's sitting at the throne. But it's no longer inverted. It's no longer upside down when it's hanging behind him, which is fascinating. Uh yeah, there's a million little sequences, but I have to admit, I, I got tingly the first time it happened, and I found even more impactful the second time is when the, like the John- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, <laughs> got those good tingles. Ooh, tingly what, come What's belt. Alicia Vikander doing here Ew. again? Who is she this time? <laughs> uh, the Giants. No, Double those trouble. Were, the, the Giants are who I was sexually attracted to in this film. Bob. <laughs> you're, you're like you're taking you know you're robbing me of my moment. Um, there's just like when we were talking earlier about like what is the scope of the danger or wonder and awe of this world and it starts so small with just a castle and lords and ladies and sure we get and it it just escalates slowly over time to the green knight and then like the casting of the spell by Morgan Le Fay and 
you sort of feel like even at, at that, like, even with the introduction of the ghosts, like, in the cabin, uh, I don't know, it feels, that all feels within the realm of what this world is operating in, and the moment with the giants is just, it's just, I was just awestruck by the scale of it, the interaction that the fox has with the, with the creature, even Gawain's, you know, it sounds like he could have gotten his ass lifted and like walked across his <laughs> valley had he not done exactly what he was going to do later with the Green Knight, which was flinch and then cause, um, you know, the giant to no longer want to interact with them. But there is just the way it's shot where it's not, you know, it's a combination of a uh, a visual effect, but also clearly actual people uh, being sort of like imposed on top of it. It's just a beautiful rendering of, of a world that I don't need to know more any more about it, but it just speaks so much about the world that it doesn't like get me thinking like well wh- where are they going but it's just such a cool carve out um that even though it has zero impact on the story what it says about like camelot and its place and the myths these people tell themselves it's like they tell themselves tall tales and to make themselves feel important and out here are motherfucking giants just like going across well, the desert but also that in some ways to me it also feels like that locked in there was a point earlier in the film where he's riding along next to a bluff and what looks like i was like is that a rock formation or are those the bones of some like great beast like there mm-hmm. appear to be uh slightly overgrown bones like embedded in the hillside of like a creature of it uh like humans have never interacted with uh you know in our history but this this it when i saw the giants i was like okay now i'm pretty sure the film is making this argument that like magic is maybe leaving the world a little bit too wherever the giants are going it is they're not coming back <laughs> these are the elves leaving middle earth like yeah. peace out i'm out <laughs> fuck y'all have fun with <laughs> so Rob, I was actually just thinking in the exact opposite direction as you were saying this. I was it, it, something like was starting to like come together for me. I don't. I, the speech about the green to me makes this movie feel like it is actually it is not about magic leaving the world. In fact, right? It is. It is. It is about the ways in which people try to insulate themselves from it and never can. It is. It is impossible to do so. And so you know, even if the giants walk away, even though there is this, this moment of encountering something truly strange and, and incomprehensible, there will always be another. Um, there is no bringing, like, Dev Patel's character is on a heroic journey, but he is not bringing magic back to the world or watching it leave. It is just happening to him because this is the fun, like underlying structure of being in this place. Um, at least that's what I was, that's what I was thinking. No, I mean, I can, I, like that reading too. It just, for me, there was something uh, that it felt to me like they were, wa- like they were walking out of the film in some ways or walking toward the mm-hmm, sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but they're crucially like, they're not dying. They're not a pe- like they're not going extinct. Like you see, they have their, their babies with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it is, they're, they're on their own path. The other thing I, I, I love in that moment is yes. When he sees them, his first instinct is how can I instrumentalize them? Hey, mm-hmm. could you like he just sees giants and like he's like, hey, they give me a lift. And that's his that's his first reaction. But then, yes, again, he he shrinks from it. Uh, and there is that realization. I love the look on the giant's face of like, oh, I didn't mean to scare you. But this realization that like. We can't interact because we can't like we, we like you do not know what to make of me that you mm-hmm. like that. 
my presence is alarming to you and it is best that I leave you to to your own devices. So my one note is Gawain doesn't jump until the fox does. Yeah. Gawain is chill until the fox starts freaking out. And then he's like, ah, which is, again, like the, the connection between these two characters is like reflections of, you know, the version of Gawain at his at his worst or or at his most at his most himself right now, which is um, kind of just like a cunning but craven person or barely cunning, definitely craven. <laughs> uh, before we wrap all this up, uh, a couple of questions that touch on things that we didn't get to in the discussion. Um, uh, Anonymous writes in, have you ever seen a hawk kill a horse? So in Dwarf Fortress, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I love the I, I love that little discussion and no elaboration. Just you simply must see it. Like one one has not lived unless they have seen a hawk swoop down and kill kill a horse. Do you want to kiss? Uh, by the way, <laughs> yeah. oh my! I love the like mm. what a toxic couple. Like whatever you get in this house, you'll give to me. And I we was like, like somebody, oh, from across the bar. So, he, so here's the thing, though. In, in in the original story, in in the poem, that literally happens, in which Gawain is being tempted and uh, and seduced, and uh, get, you know, exchange like essentially, like I will just give you a kiss, and then he also gives that kiss to to the man, and that go adds up to three kisses, and that because in, in the in 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 the poem. These are tests and he succeeds at all of them, right? right. Like, again, there's a much cheerier, upbeat version of, of, the, of the story that is told here. And so it really speaks to, it's definitely worth going to read, like, just a, even just a Wikipedia entry that, that uh, mm-hmm. summarizes the, the plot beats of, of the poem because it shows just the really smart, twisted inversions that Lowry has taken. It's the same setup, but feels so much gnarlier in this context. By the way, we can all agree that the kiss lands for Gawain, right? Because he's he's stuck there for a minute. He's he's yeah. he's standing yeah. there for about no, ten for seconds, sure. being like, "Damn." <laughs> if I didn't have to get over to this chapel, uh, bro, you know, <laughs> uh, unhand me. But <laughs> uh, unless this comes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, another question that came in uh, from anonymous. Uh, Casting Devotel as uh, Gawain brought a uh, racial lens to the story, which wasn't really present in the original. Though not British Indian, as a person from India who grew up in missionary schools and soaked in the remnants of British colonial culture, this muddying of who is and who can be citizens of the empire is something that's come easy to me. I've known dudes who are just like Gawain. I'm curious what y'all think about the recent discussions about race and the stories and histories of medieval Europe. What do you think the refocusing of the lens to include more people in these settings does? Sorry for the meandering question. And dang, he sure did come. (laughs) Um, I don't know, Rob. This feels like more of a you question to at least lead off the discussion on what you what you make on well, like the racial lens this this story does or doesn't bring by the casting of of Dev Patel. I don't know. I think so. What's interesting is I think partly what makes it work so well and maybe accomplish its end is that it doesn't really have much to say about it at all. Like it, it is not making like. Dev Patel's performance is so easy and natural in this. Like, like everything is so like, yes, he and his mother are uh, 
people of color in a court that is largely made of white people and like led by white men. But at the same time, like I think part of what the film is part of what the the film is doing is like, we just kind of run with it. We don't question it, uh, you know, you know, beyond that. So I think like there's that element that it is, that is working with, uh, you know, is, is straight out of the gate is it doesn't ask us, you know, hey, can you buy Dev Patel as Sir Gawain? No, he just is Sir Gawain in this story. And we we buy that completely uh, because, you know, in, in part, like it is, what is what is established so quickly is that his crisis is not necessarily one of belonging as it is like really a a crisis of like, who am I uh, in, in this world? So it like I, I agree like that. It is interesting, like the, the the casting here uh is like operating in that vein of like opening up these roles and these worlds to different people and 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 different actors. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily the point in, in this film, uh is is like my initial reaction to that, which is interesting. Yeah, the Lowry actually was asked about this at one point. Um like, hey, was this like a purposeful subversion and, you know, that would be in line with a lot of the other sort of subversions and commentary you're doing with this take on the on the story? And uh, Lowry said uh, the decision uh, to cast uh, Dev was quick and easy and based simply on liking Dev for the part. But the impact and import of this whim is not lost on me, nor was it far from my mind while we were shooting. Seeing King Arthur, which is very funny that he references King Arthur specifically here, but doesn't do it in the script. Um, seeing King Arthur look him in the eye and say, quote, it is good to have one's family by one side, one's blood was incredibly important to me. So it's one of those things where like he can you can see wh- where there is weight to it in the story. But I think that lines up, Rob, with your reading of the situation that this was just the character, the, the actor. Um, but um, it's interesting to see how Lowry himself sees where that gets some additional weight by the by virtue of the casting. Uh it's- yeah. Did does do any of us know Arthurian legend enough to know if I'm remembering correctly that Morgan is not actually blood related to Arthur? Is, is so this something I'm making it, up? There's like there's there's a few different things I think mm. that are like well that's the thing with Arthurian legend too. It's like right, how many like fucking versions. versions like, I think there's there. one where like I think there's a version where like literally it's straight up. Uh, an incestuous union and <laughs> uh like modred is the or mordred is the result of that uh right. there are but i think there's also versions where like morgan lefay is like a fairy lover of arthur's uh but not like related so mm. i like i think it's one of those things that different versions of the cycle like do different things with and i think I in okay. like think there might also be a couple different characters that sometimes get unified into one. Um, my only thought here is that like this, like Rob was talking about earlier, this movie is about in a way about cycles or not about cycles, but a way like story cycle and, and affect people. And so like, I do think about the ways in which, you know, this is a, this is an interrogation of Arthurian legend as like a cultural lesson as a cultural object Right. In the ways in which like cultural objects shift and change and and become different over time. And so like 
there are a ton of things where like the cultural imaginary of what Arthurian legend looks like is naturally going to to shift over time. Uh, this is I also think a lot about like I think we haven't talked about at all is the uh, costume design in this movie, which is fucking crazy. The costume design <laughs> in this movie is absolutely wild and ranges from like things that feel mostly correct to cozy sweater oh, time at the Lord's house. Right, like, <laughs> I could buy that. I could go, I could, I can go buy that right now. And then, and in this way, like is, you know, this narrative being brought into a, a different cultural imaginary in which different people, uh, can and do fill these roles, uh, because they always have. I think that's going to bring us to a conclusion on our, conversation about the green knight i am delighted that everyone uh enjoyed it uh as much as i was was hoping i i told rob this during the break that i was nervous i was like i was like oh i think everyone's really gonna like this and i shouldn't have, i was like oh i shouldn't have said that because what if people don't like it like it's not a big <laughs> deal but i'm glad that everyone seemed to get as much out of it as i was i was hoping um and the green knight is a really good film uh and i'm glad we had a chance to re uh well for me and kato reconsider it and uh ren and rob to consider it for the for the first time which is uh, a delight uh where we go next i believe if i'm not mistaken is due to be determined by the the, listeners by the people by the people um so the way we did this last time was there will be uh sometime in the next week or so a poll that goes up um that uh will first be distributed through the waypoint plus newsletter um so that plus members will get uh more or less the chance to weigh in on where we go next uh we every every one each of us will pick a film that we can branch off from this uh you'll pick the one that we talk about and then the cycle will begin uh anew um as we as we move forward in time uh along uh our time that we it's, i think maybe after that we should have a brief moment to consider where we have gone on all of these movies mm-hmm. so far. I think we're like 10 <laughs> movies and it's yeah. a, it's a wild ride from prey to the green Knight. Um, we, we finished our second cycle. We have, we have finished our second cycle. Um, if you'd like to, the whole reason we're able to do this, if you'd like to support what we do, head to waypointplus.com. You get access to podcasts like this a whole week in advance you get uh ad free versions uh, of the podcast like waypoint uh radio um you allow us to do things like not play the harry potter game by going to waypointplus.com <laughs> um and so if you'd like to support that work or non-work as it were um please go to waypointplus.com and support what we're doing if not if you can't do that it's okay look things are weird right now if the least you could do Help us head towards 2,000 reviews on iTunes. Get over there. Like, just do a little review. You could even be like, what was it? Jake Buddy? Booty? The, the, yeah. The, the person who gave Bunny. us one star? Yeah. Like, be that. You know what? It's still a review. It still counts towards the 2,000. Um, so, <laughs> would appreciate that as well. You can follow uh, my work uh, personally uh, over uh, at Patrick Kupik. Ren, where can people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven. Rob at Rob Zachney Kato at A underscore Kato underscore appears uh, you can follow Waypoint at Twitter you can follow archives to various things at twitch.tv slash waypoint youtube.com slash waypoint vice 
Uh, that's going to do it for my turn. Uh, the next time, hey, it's your turn. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.